0: Hi, welcome to the first episode of Sunday School, and welcome to the fifth floor of Harvey Nichols in Knightsbridge. I'm Deborah B., and I'm the Creative and Marketing Director. Sunday School is a series of weekly in store events. We're bringing together industry influencers and brands to explore the hottest topics in fashion and beauty in an open forum, sharing knowledge and answering some tough questions. We also hope the conversation continues beyond the store, and it gives us and you plenty to think about. If you enjoy the podcast, please do subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. And please also rate and leave us a review. To find out more about the events, you can search Harvey Nichols Sunday School. So what you're about to hear was recorded right here with a live audience and two wonderful guests. I hope you enjoy it. Hello, everyone. and um, Welcome to Sunday School a series of events that we're going to hold in this store where we discuss things that are not necessarily to do with retail or selling you things. It's more to do with how we feel about different issues. And we're inviting industry experts to come in just to open up debate about certain things that we all care about. So we're kicking off with the first one, which is called Material World, Reducing Fashion's Footprint. The fact that you're all here today suggests to me that you have had thoughts about the material world and reducing fashion's footprint. And I think it's a very difficult subject, and it's a much broader subject than you first think. And I think it's very difficult to know what's underneath. You know, sometimes you're almost afraid to lift the lid on the fashion supply chain because what's underneath is a bit too ghastly to think about. You know, when we buy food... We might choose organic, or we might choose vegan, or we might choose something that comes from whole food. Or we might actually be on a budget and want to buy something from a supermarket. We might care about packaging, and we might care about plastic bags. But with fashion, it's much more difficult to actually make those choices. We we all recycle as much as we can, I'm sure. But with fashion, you're buying blind. You just don't know what it is and, and where it's come from. When I started at Harvey Nichols, the first thing I really wanted to do was to see where we were in terms of responsible business practices. And I want to make it clear right now that we're not squeaky clean. I couldn't possibly say that we are. We're not. There are lots of things that we need to do. The first thing that we have done is to set up a responsible business practices committee. And on that committee, we have one of our COOs. And I think that that is a major step in our retail practices. So joining me today um, to discuss this, I have Cara Smith, who is the Vice President of the Glasgow Caledonian New York College, and she's also the founder of the Fair Fashion Center. And Tamzin Blanchard is a fashion journalist and editor, and she's also part of a global campaign called Fashion Revolution. So
1: welcome, ladies.
0: Car, can I start with you? Could you tell us a little bit more about the Fair Fashion
2: Centre? Yes.
1: So I am a long-time fashion person. I worked for Yuga Boss, for Jill Sander, for Burberry, and kind of grew up at a time where we were not as smart as we are today, let's say. We sent out designs and disassembled parts to be sampled and then produced and sold, and we were maybe not as aware of the environmental and social impacts that our business was creating in a way that we are today. So now that we're all smarter, we like to do better. And I think it's important that fashion people fix their own industry because we understand better how it works than nonprofits and other entities. So we started the Fair Fashion Research Center, brought together a whole group of CEOs. We now work with 40 CEOs. They represent about 242 brands and around $250 billion in business. How can we collectively work together to resolve our problems and kind of redesign our industry from the inside out? We have a big focus on profitability and sustainability because obviously the companies have to be economically sustainable as well. Thank you. Tamsin.
3: I've been a fashion journalist since the early 90s. I started out at The Independent and then moved to The Guardian and The Telegraph magazine, where I was the fashion features director for 10 years. Throughout that time, really, I suppose my main interest in being part of this fashion industry was it was about it's a form of self-expression. And uh, dressing, how you dress, really tells the world who you are, yeah. what your opinions are, what your politics are. This has always been really at the centre of my relationship with fashion. So I've you know, long been an advocate for better ways of doing things. And you know, when people started recycling their rubbish in the 90s, thinking about fashion was just part and parcel of who you were. So I suppose in the early 90s, you know, brands like Patagonia started to create fleeces out of recycled plastic bottles, which seemed quite revolutionary at the time. Now it's pretty commonplace. I suppose I've watched this whole story unfold. It's taken quite a long time. But I feel like now in the last kind of 12 months, things have really, really shifted. And I became part of Fashion Revolution, which was a campaign that was set up uh, almost six years ago now as a response to the Rana Plaza factory disaster when 1,138 garment workers were killed when the factory collapsed. And it was a real wake-up call to the industry as a whole that the industry seemed to have got out of control. Things were being made too fast, too quickly, too much. And I think we're now at a stage where the industry is questioning it, the consumers are questioning it, And I feel like, you know, we're in a much better place today than we were even 12 months ago because the conversation has become much more mainstream and you're not seen as some kind of crank talking about this stuff. Um, So, yeah, and it's great that we're sitting here in Harvey Nichols today having this conversation.
0: Yeah I think there's been quite a lot of eyeball rolling hasn't there around around responsible business practices so it's good that that's changed. I thought it would be interesting to start with just to define our terms. So there's a lot of talk about sustainability and the word makes me nervous actually. So Kara could you just tell us a bit about what's the best word to use when we're talking about supply chain?
1: I think sustainable as a word sort of still feels like a bucket of problems and probably ugly product, which is not the case. You know it seems oh it's going to be that green thing and all of the issues that are connected to it, from chemicals to water waste, and now we know it, need to think about regenerative agriculture and so you can kind of go down a rabbit hole of it feeling not sexy, not joyful, and it takes the fun out of my shopping. Or we can start to say it's a great place for innovation and evolution. So I guess in a simple way, I think responsible business means making the best choices that you can for yourself, for the planet, and for others, including in the supply chain. As a consumer, making the best choices that one can make, and probably as a company or a a brand or a retailer, building the best product that you can with the knowledge and the innovation that we currently have.
3: Yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree. I find sustainable as a word. is actually a very lazy word. It's become such a cliche. Nobody really knows what it means anymore. But at the same time, it's hard to escape it. And I'm sure we will say it many times this morning. So I like to think about innovation because I think, you know, going forward, there are a lot of challenges and a lot of problems. And it's about finding innovative solutions to those problems. But there are so many different problems and it's very complex. And I think to bundle it all under this one horrible word, sustainable, is problematic.
1: It's interesting because Patagonia actually says that not one piece that's ever made is sustainable. And if they're the North Star for so many of us, it then really focuses the attention on then what is the best way to build it? What is the best way to dispose of it? How do we best consume it? So I think it's good to start with it's totally an imperfect process, but there is a trend of change towards more responsible practices. And that recognizes that it's imperfect and saying that out loud to each other, to the press, to everyone. sort of takes away a lot of the oh it's not good enough yet and I don't think it's not good enough yet is very helpful in evolving the conversation. Mm -hmm.
3: And I think the brands that do bandy around the word sustainability it kind of rings alarm bells slightly because you just you know nobody as you say you know nobody is there yet and actually probably ever will be because obviously the idea of sustainable fashion is ultimately a bit of an oxymoron because we're creating more product and stuff it's about finding ways of doing it in a more responsible way
0: yeah there was a story i heard about um this lovely lady called caroline scherfler who runs chopard and she decided a while back that she wanted to use responsibly sourced gold which is actually quite hard to get hold of so they managed to find some responsibly sourced gold and then they did a collection that um, was quite small, but it was all about this amazing gold that was mined fairly. So they did a press, big press conference and they invited all the press and Caroline was up front and here she was showing this amazing jewellery and saying that it was fair mined. And somebody in the press stuck up their hand and said, what proportion of your collections is fair mined gold then? And she said, oh, it's... Um, is it what is it and it ended up being one percent of the collection and so there was this horrible silence she sort of just looked at them all and said well Rome wasn't built in a day and that's the point but can I ask both of you what in your particular fields what are you actually doing in order to try to move this on a bit
3: well I suppose as a communicator in the fashion industry You know, I take any opportunity really to try and promote designers and brands who are doing things better. I was last year teaching at Central St. Martin's on the fashion journalism degree and really just trying to get people to ask the right questions. I think it's all about be curious, find out, do something. It's about arming yourself, doing your own research. It's just good to show people that you do have a voice. And I think obviously, you know, the flip side of you know showing showing a new outfit every day on Instagram is also using social media as a way to actually have a conversation with brands. You know, it's not about attacking them, it's about involving them in a conversation. There's a hashtag that we use at Fashion Revolution, Who Made My Clothes? It's a very, very simple ask. But actually, you know, brands increasingly are trying to find out who made your clothes and it is a very complex supply chain it's kind of nudging them in the right direction as well and it's good for them to actually know that you care so I think just really keeping that conversation going and finding ways to communicate it to more and more people and on a more corporate level Cara (coughs) What we do at the
1: Fair Fashion Center is early on, as was mentioned around the time of the Rana Plaza factory collapse, which was sort of the shot heard around the world for so many, I started to spend a lot of time at the United Nations and look at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and what's the 2030 agenda for the world to be in a better place and so on. And it kept giving me, frankly, a paralysis because, as much as we see gender equity and underwater life and partnerships for the peace and all of those big, lofty goals, which are an amazing North Star, there really is no how to guide for the companies. We work with a fantastic CEO who's a bit of a comedian who says, hey, I don't have a VP of greenhouse gases and I don't have a biologist on staff, but now we're called on to worry about regenerative agriculture. We're called on to worry about our carbon footprint. We're asked about the chemicals that are in our clothes that remain in clothes as people wear them. And we don't have the skill set inside the fashion companies to deal with the questions we're currently called on to deal with. How do we become these CEOs and corporate statesmen? And I think more and more companies. Customers look to businesses and trust businesses often many times more than governments. Everybody hears my accent. You'll understand why I'm saying that, uh, being from where I'm from. But I think as we look at businesses to really lead the way and lead the charge, listening to the United Nations saying we have 12 years to go before climate change is irreversible, that may be exact it may not be exact i'm not willing to bet against that and say oh science schmian's whatever it is who cares you know i think we all need to be more careful so what we do is we focus on collective impact we bring the ceos and companies together and say what are the main issues that we need to solve for and rather than everybody doing something on their own what happens if we do that together can we kind of what we call chase the waste how much chemicals are we putting in how much water are we putting in how much of the packaging are we putting in how much energy does that take? And if you start to look carefully at all of those things, and companies and brands and retailers agree, you can actually become more profitable and more sustainable and take away a lot of the waste. And the more money you save, the more you can then dedicate towards social programs, the livelihood side. If we want to pay more, the money kind of has to come from Somewhere, Because there's an inherent conflict between great nonprofit information, which can teach us to do better, and for-profit companies that are maybe publicly traded on Wall Street and on the exchanges, and those folks are obliged to uphold shareholder value. So there's an ethical, moral, and sort of a conflict there on how do we do better? but not spend more money. How do we do better and maintain margins? How do we do better in this world of the Amazon effect that is driving change across all of the businesses? Keep our business, redesign ourselves, reinvent ourselves for the future, but also be more green, more conscious, more kind, and more sustainable. So we try to be a tactical, outsourced sustainability department that incubates reasonable solutions for brands to absorb.
3: I think that's so important that business and profits are actually part of this whole conversation. I, I recently interviewed the CEO of Outland Denim, which is the brand that Meghan Markle wore uh, yeah. when she was on tour in Australia. And she wore them, I think, three or four times and it's completely, completely transformed their business. But he runs a, a business making slavery-free denim, which sounds like quite a dramatic statement to make. But he, he basically employs women in Cambodia that... Are in a vulnerable situation. He gives them really valuable skills. Each woman makes an entire pair of jeans. And so that it's not just, you know, being on some kind of supply chain. But he was really adamant from the start that he didn't want to make what he called pity product because ultimately it doesn't sell. And he realized that actually he needed to make something that was desirable, that was actually a luxury product that people would actually value. And I just think that's so important that, you know, there are a lot of businesses in this space trying to do good. But I think there's no point doing good unless you're actually making a really, really desirable and hopefully useful
0: yeah, even, product. Even that in itself is, is there are conflicts mm-hmm. even in that. So I went to visit a denim factory in the Caragua and the women that worked there started work at six in the morning and finished at six o'clock at night. They're very often single parents. They had children at home, and the older children had to look after the younger children, and if their child was sick, they couldn't take a day off. They just had to carry on working, and we were outraged. I was there with um, Anita Roddick, who was receiving an award for her kind of philanthropy in that area, and and we were saying to these women, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be working. You know, the jeans, the we knew where they were. We knew exactly where they ended up. And the jeans were costing $10. And it was a massive company. And frankly, we were very small. I wrote, it, I wrote it at the time for The Guardian. There was so little we could do. But actually, those women didn't want us to do anything because what was the alternative for them? If we went to the company and said, this is terrible, you must stop employing, this is slave labour, they would lose their jobs, they would lose their incomes and their children would starve. It's so complicated and so ghastly that it feels as though having these kind of conversations and hearing the sorts of things that you're both doing is the flip side, it's the positive. It's a, oh my God, we can actually do something here and it might be really small but it will be a start. So, Cara, was it difficult getting all of those CEOs into the same room? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, I think, you know, the times have changed a lot. I I think there are often kind of Two groups, let's say, of companies, the companies that own their own companies. Where you have a Patagonia, and Eileen Fisher, a Levi's, and so on, they are more flexible and they can make more bold decisions about making responsible choices and maybe spending more money in one place and saving it in another. Uh, when you're a publicly traded company, more difficult. However, I think there is a wonderful collision of priorities, kind of what we're talking about here. Everybody cares. The more consumers are saying, hmm, I'm interested in where my clothes are coming from. We may not all always shop like we care, but I think generally we care. Sometimes you're buying that piece because you love it and you're maybe not paying so much attention to it. But also the nonprofit world cares. The investors care. And I think the fact that the investors care uh, in our work is one of the most powerful tools to drive change and creates an amazing domino effect. So everybody knows Bloomberg, and Bloomberg has what he calls the investor terminal, which is what every investor looks at. You know, It's what blinks on every financial person's desk. And they have what they call ESG screens, environmental, social, and governance screens. And those environmental, social, and governance screens show everything about a company, that a company is reporting, even what they are not reporting, what data is being scraped. It picks up tweets and everything And it shows green a company is doing better than last year, red a company is doing worse than last year, and also has non disclosed if a company is not talking about it or maybe just not talking about it in a language that the machine picks up. And I think the more investors are saying, hey, wow, you're growing a third of your cotton in a water-stressed area, or hey, wow, you're producing a lot of what you're making in an in area of geopolitical risk, and you may not get that merchandise in time. I'm an investor. That's a material risk to my business, and I care. So investors really are asking about chemicals. They're asking about raw materials. They're asking about trash and environmental impact, and are you treating your workers properly, and what kind of governance do you have? So the more those questions are asked, The more even the publicly traded companies have, as I said, a domino effect and a pressure, not just from consumers saying, I care, but investors like Larry Fink from BlackRock, who owns, as they joke in New York, 7% of everything. You know, if he owns 7% of everything, and he says, I'd like to know that you're making progress, I'm not expecting perfection. Demonstrate the progress in data. You know, you mind what you measure. Brands are turning around to the suppliers saying we need to collaborate. They're investing in innovation. What about mushroom leather and all of these interesting things that we hear coming up through the ranks and so on? So to me not just Mike Bloomberg as a person, but Bloomberg as uh, an opportunity for the world to see and investors to see what we're all doing. And force change, I think, is one of the most unbelievably powerful things. It kind of sandwiches brands between the consumer side and also the investor side. And as I said, you know, kind of this online business and a change into the future of borrowing economy. Do we really think we own our clothes or are we just using them and reselling them? You know, there's lots of shifts in the way we think can interact with our clothes that has forced a sustainable conversation um, just as was said you know in the next 12 months coming i think we'll see more and more acceleration towards these practices also because technology and transparency uh, is going to allow us to see where does our stuff come from and where does it go probably way faster than any of us can imagine and therefore a big change is being forced by these collisions of collision of priorities as i said
3: i think as well i mean transparency is key to change happening. And I think public disclosure from brands, making sure that they actually, even if if they know this stuff, they can't keep it a secret anymore. The fashion business has been completely built on smoke and mirrors and secrecy and confidentiality. And really, they need to start opening up and sharing what is going on. Because if they don't know what is happening in their supply chains, they can't fix it. And we need to know that they know and so really they need to start putting this information on their websites publicly a lot of people are you know martin spencer actually map their factories you can actually see where their factories are and it hasn't made their business collapse everybody isn't rushing to use their factories these are the tools that we're going to have to have going forward as consumers as well to be able to make the right decisions of what we want to buy, and so
0: employees too. I think you know employees should be asking the companies that they work for, "What are you doing?" Mm-hmm. And then I think it gives it, it helps you retain the best staff because you're creating an environment that they also can believe in.
1: I agree. I don't think any employee at any level wants to work today without purpose. Why would you? It's not that interesting. You know, I made lots of nice product in my life, and I loved it at that time. Today, when I understand that. Fashion is a $2.5 trillion industry roundabout. They say one in every six people work in a fashion-related business when you're going from agriculture to retail and so on. When you think of the power of fashion to influence and drive cultural change and our links with Hollywood and so on, all of that makes us such an amazingly powerful instrument to do good for so many. First step out of poverty, agriculture, retail, manufacturing jobs and so on. where do you want to work? Where do you want to spend the time? Where do you want to buy? What do you want to buy? All of that, I think, becomes so much more relevant and feels amazingly luxurious today. Thank you both. That was really great. I'd like to
0: open up to questions now. There's a lady in the second row. Perhaps you would like to start. Thank you. Hi. I was listening to a podcast the other day about Tiffany's and about how they didn't disclose all of the good that they were doing and it really damaged their brand. The reason that they didn't say it was because they didn't want to tarnish the image of Tiffany being this beautiful product. They don't want to brand it sustainable. So how do you make sustainability
3: kind of cool? I I think sustainability is cool. Finally, I can feel like I can actually say that even though we've talked about not liking the S word, but I think we are at a point where it is cool and brands need to realise. I think in the past there has been a situation where if a brand like Tiffany says this is you know what we're doing you know aren't we great that obviously somebody will shoot them down pretty quickly I think that's it isn't it I think people are just so nervous of being shot down by the press so there's a
0: very big brand that's Italian that I've done some work with in the past and they are very good in terms of where they source things from they've got very tight regulations around who is making for them and what their raw materials are But they never tell anyone. And the reason that they're nervous of telling anyone is because the the CEO, or actually the owner of the whole thing, has got two yachts. And he's worried that somebody is going to say, well, you've got two yachts. You live this this hedonistic lifestyle. How dare you say that you're sustainable when actually he's doing a powerful, powerfully good thing with, with his brand. But he's like, yeah, but they'll say
3: something bad about my yachts. I think the conversation has become much more nuanced now and it's not just about somebody saying yeah I've I've done this that's good and I I think we have moved on and the conversation has really moved on and I think brands like Tiffany's yeah absolutely need to talk about what they're doing in the same way that even Stella McCartney actually until recently didn't really talk about a lot of the stuff that she was doing because she was worried that on the flip side there's always something that's not quite there yet but I think we need to realise that, you know, it is a journey and nobody's perfect, and I think we have got to that point where we, we can talk about this. It's interesting, I think, that Deb
1: put a journalist and somebody that works with brands together, because I think if we look at sort of the fashion industry and think about the connections and sort of the opposing sides that press and brands can sometimes be on, I think more and more we're showing the trend of change and I think brands are realising consumers are going to spend where they think values are being respected, number one, so more and more they want to actually communicate about what they are doing to have more responsible practices. And the other thing, back to the investor side, Wall Street is rewarding it. When people are saying, here's where we are making progress on those five key areas that were mentioned, they're actually trading higher because they are expecting to find less risks in their investments. So I think even, you know, whether it be a company like Tiffany and so on, less afraid of the press, knowing consumers want to hear it, and knowing Wall Street will reward it we're going to start to see much more dialogue about how brands are aligning around their values and living them seriously if those values are not real i think that they will not resonate so that's a, a terrific part of the change
3: that's coming yeah i coming. think that's absolutely true it has to be authentic and real because you can see through it you know a mile off if it's just greenwash and the last thing i would just want to add one
1: more thing i think on the product you know when we started five years ago was a friend at Patagonia that said, you have to rebrand sustainability and make it sexy. I think this idea of, oh, it's that organic t-shirt or some soft bag or, you know, like a scarf, like I'm going to buy once because I feel I'm doing good, isn't where the business is anymore. Now it's every single person is trying to build better, more thoughtful product because they need to. So sustainable fashion is actually should be and will be every single piece that's made, high end to low, fast fashion has to consider circularity, as does all the luxury too. So I think there's a shift in it not being kind of what we used to imagine as green tree-hugging fashion, but actually all fashion has become more responsible.
0: Mm. Do we have another question?
2: Hi, I'm just going to it's it's actually the same subject, about giving more information to your clients and to the consumer. I'm just going to point out the fact that clients, when there is too much information, they can get a bit, uh, how do you say? um, Overwhelmed. Overwhelmed and maybe won't focus on the actual product itself and more on the information. And when I think, about myself when I buy a piece of clothing, I actually want to buy the product and not all that information. And when you see recently what happened to Bruno Peters and Honest Buy, and the fact that well, he had launched a first company uh, which was completely transparent and completely honest and giving all the information on the whole supply chain of every product, why did it collapse? Uh, is it because the information was more powerful than the actual product and that today consumers will not change they will buy a product because it's desirable and it's fashion and not they're not going to buy the actual information of it obviously i'm aware of when i buy a product of everything that's behind it but i still buy the product because it's a product that's desirable and it's fashionable and consumers will be afraid and maybe you know disgusted by all this information yeah, I think you
0: you really want to be able to trust the brand, don't yeah. you? Yeah. So, within different industries like the food industry, there's the you know traffic lights or there's the kite marks or there's all those sorts of things. So, I think we need to come up with with ways. I, I heard the other day about a brand who are talking about embedding information in fabric so that. Do you know about this, Kara? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do You tell it, because I'm sure you'll tell it better than I do. No, I,
1: I, I don't know if it's the same story, but uh, there's a lot of discussion that there will be tiny little chips the size of a sand that travels from end to end in the garment. So if you want to know, you'll be able to kind of put your telephone and the sand chip, let's call it, together, and you can have as much information as you want. And you may not put your phone to your garment because maybe you, do not want the information. I don't know if that's the same thing that Deb is referring to. But I think there will be great traceability. I don't think that it should overwhelm the fun of shopping. You know, you buy what you buy because it's beautiful and that's the business I think we've all always been in. When we started the Fair Fashion Center it was interesting because a lot of people said to me you should do a consumer campaign. Try to speak to the public about this. And I said, oh my gosh, if I have to talk to 8 billion people around the world it seems a lot easier to talk to 40 CEOs and their representatives in the companies. Let's make better products so the consumers are just buying better product because it's our responsibility to build it in a more thoughtful manner. And I think that's what's happening. It's easier for us as an industry to tackle it and then consumers to say, where am I hearing dialogue that resonates with me, that resonates with my values? And, you know, there's 90 problems in sustainable fashion, These are the ones, if these people are really taking care of women and that's what resonates with me, fantastic, I'm shopping there. If these people are talking about ethics and longer life and that's what resonates, you know, pick your issues and pick your spots and align with people that you trust that are Uh, bringing honest dialogue. Can
3: I just say uh, the one thing that we haven't talked about actually is the role of governments in all of this and policy and that, you know, obviously consumers have a role to play, brands do, but actually ultimately governments need to be stepping in and actually laying down some regulation and laws, and I know at the moment there's the Environmental Audit Committee that's uh, been reporting to the uh, House of Parliament uh, with Mary Cray MP leading the charge, really rather brilliantly, and the results of that are going to be coming back, I think, in February right at the same time as Brexit all coming to a head so ho- hopefully it will still you know, we'll be, we'll be able to hear what they're reporting back from that, but you know the question was, is the fashion industry sustainable so it's amazing that governments are actually starting to realize that yeah they have to regulate this industry
0: great that's the end of the first part of our sunday school and the first episode of our podcast in episode two we're going to be talking much more about the habits that you can adopt even if they're small but what are the small changes that we can all make in order to make a bigger difference thank you so much Cara Smith and Tamsin Blanchard and we look forward to seeing you in episode 2 of Sunday School from Harvey Nichols thank Thank you you for having us thank you to find out more about our Sunday School events just go online and search for Harvey Nichols Sunday School in the meantime Please do subscribe, rate and review. And I hope you'll join us for part two of our material world discussion. Thanks for listening. Bye.